What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 64 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. As we sit here, there's hockey players on the ice. Hockey is happening. That is brilliant. Rookie camp is underway for the Flyers. Rookie camp is underway for a ton of teams around the NHL. And Anthony DeMarco will join us in just a second. Let me tell you about the Bet Parks app. Oh, my goodness. What a great time to get on the Bet Parks app. Now you may go, well, why is it a great time, Jason? Here, I'll tell you. Because you have a full college football card this weekend. You have a full NFL card this weekend. Kicked off last night for week two, Thursday night football. You've got baseball winding it down and headed towards the playoffs. You've got tennis. You've got golf. You've got, well, Formula One's in a break this week. But you got that when it's back. You've got futures, live in-game betting, same-game parlays, uh, player performances, alternate lines, first to score, exact score. You name it, it's all there. Touchdowns run, touchdowns over-unders, yards, all of it. It is, you'll be inundated with every option you can think of, plus a few more to wager your money on sports. So check it out. Get the Bet Parks app. Use the promo code Jason750. That'll get you a risk-free bet up to $750. Uh, terms and conditions to apply. That is for new and existing users. So again, Jason, JSLN. 750 risk free bet up to $750. So get the Bet Parks app today. You need to be present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Let's bring him in right now from north of the border from the fourth period. It is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man, in my uh, my new home. So that moving bullshit is done. Thank oh, God. The worst, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and now I'm in my new office, and uh, kind of sterile in here. Kind of looks like a hospital room, but uh, clean at least. So I get some more character in here eventually. I was I've been helping my brother move a little bit because I'm the dude with the truck. So ah. anybody that has a truck, like you're the automatic first call asshole. De facto, like, de yep. facto mover. Can't fit a couch in my uh, <laughs> in my little car, so let's call Jason. We'll do it in the truck. It's bananas. So. Uh, pretty soon they're going to be asking you to move a fridge. They're ask you to move a fridge, a stove. Why stop at the couch, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm getting calls on all kinds of things. So, um, But it is what it is. Um, the season's kind of here. And rookie camp's underway. And I know Lappy yesterday talked about Tyson Forster and that he looks like a totally different player. Um, I'm looking forward to to kind of getting eyes on all this stuff and a couple of games this weekend, rookie games. Can you believe it's, it's hockey season again already? It's crazy. The turnaround. But then when you really look into it, the Stanley cup was awarded what in like late June, the draft yeah. was in mid July, the or early July, this free agency was mid July. And look, the flyers, obviously it's been what one day of camp. This is day two. Um, I spoke to someone with the Flyers who obviously was there and he said, you know, like players have shown up in shape, which is good. And I think that's kind of like the theme is that they players were put on notice this season that you could not walk through camp. And obviously I'm sure that was directed more so for like the main training camp, but it's good to see how these young guys are showing up in shape as well especially when this season is surrounded a lot about these young guys. And look, obviously, is Forster going to make the team? Probably not. Is Denway, Wisdom, are these guys going to be factors in the NHL this season? No. But with all of them turning pro and joining the Phantoms, and a lot of them having high ceilings, like especially a guy like Elliot Denway, like slowly but surely becoming one of the more intriguing prospects that this team has, 
obviously a centerman, which is something that this team can use in droves. So yeah, really, uh, really interested to see what some of these guys can do here. It, and is this the pivot point right now? The last two years, so you had the nineteen twenty season, sixty nine regular season games. They finished it really strong. They go to the bubble. They finally went around to the playoffs by beating Montreal, who, in a lot of t- technical terms, really wasn't a playoff team. They were only in because of the expanded format. I think they were worthy because you look at the next year they went to a cup final. But anyway, um, they beat the Montreal Canadiens. They take the uh, Islanders to game seven, which is still stunning to me when you watch that series, but they did. And then it, it was the nosedive. Decent start to the next season, although you know the process looked like shit. And eventually the process looking like shit caught up with the team and they had a horrific month of March. I mean, historically bad. And then last year they got off to a decent start record wise, but again, the process looked like shit. And then eventually, you know, injuries came in with Sean Couturier and Ryan Ellis only played four games, all that. And last year was, you know, one of the worst seasons in franchise history. We had a moment now with John Tortorella, and hopefully some better health and better luck. I mean, towards this at tackling everything, health of the team and, and the physicians, all that stuff. He talked about it on NHL Network Radio. I was kind of stunned to hear it. Um, but is this the pivot point where they pivot from being down to going back up? Is it a pivot point to leveling off or are they not at rock bottom? It's hard to think that they're not at rock bottom, right? Like after yeah. last season. And I think that almost just by osmosis, they're going to get better because you have, you know, presumably Sean Katori and Kevin Hayes, arguably their two most important forwards, two most important players in a lot of ways, uh, back at full health. And, you know, we've heard John Tortorella kind of bring up Hayes several times. And I think Hayes is quietly going to be probably one of the I guess, biggest leaders and voices in the room this year. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think it's slam dunk. There's going to be a captain, but I think that he would be a very good shot to be that. That's not exactly profound or anything, but I think that this is a year that one way or another, things are going to change. I don't think that they could go down any farther after last season. And I think that they are going to be better. How much better is left to be determined. But it's not even just the main roster. It's a turning point for how we're going to see the system in terms of how the kids are going to develop, what's going on in Lehigh. Because it's like the first year where all of the, let's say, Chuck Fletcher guys and more specifically Brent Flair guys are being injected into the everyday operations of this team down in Lehigh. Like Dan Y.A., Wisdom, you have um, Tyson Forster, obviously. Cam York is going to be a full-time NHLer at this point. And now we're going to start to see what we really have with this team, not just in the here and now, but in the long term. Like we're going to see what, you know, arguably the most important prospect this team has right now in Tyson Forster, probably aside from Cutter Goetze, how he could cut his teeth in, uh, with the pros. What a guy like Denway, who is a fifth-round pick, how he can translate his game as a centerman at the pro level. What can a guy like Zade Wisdom do, who seems to be like a heart and soul character guy? So not just at the NHL level do I think that it is a turning point. I think that it's a big turning point in finally seeing maybe what we have with these Chuck Fletcher and Brett Flair draft picks. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's the thing that the fan base wants to jump onto is go, oh, you know, if we kind of knew 
that this was the pivot point of, of an ascension, then I think people would go, okay, I can get excited about that. But I think people are just don't know if this is rock bottom or if the ascension is beginning or the pieces are here for the team to start ascending. Because you do have some older pieces, like, you know, Couturier is 29 this year. You know, Kevin Hayes is, uh, you know, up there in years as well. You got some young players like Konechny, who a lot of people feel disappointed by. Provorov, disappointed by. Sanheim, not so not disappointed by, but they're a little nervous you may lose him and uh, free agency, or does it make sense to extend him for the Flyers in free agency? And you have some young players, but I don't know if there's anybody they really have grabbed on or gravitated to. There's not a darling, if you will, on this team, other than probably the goalie, Carter Hart. And even the goalie, Carter Hart, a lot of guys want nothing to do with this guy either. Yeah. So I I mean that you are kind of looking for that one player to latch on to and kind of dub as like the knight in shining armor. I think at times that guy's kind of been Joel Farabee because he is a homegrown talent. He broke into the NHL what when he was 20 years old. He's been an exciting offensive player at times, but now with him on the shelf to start the season, that's been kind of taken away. And I think that was kind of the main reason why people were latching on to the idea of signing Johnny Gaudreau or trading for Alex to Brinkett because you could at least say, well, this team's going to be mediocre. You're probably not going to make the playoffs, but this is our knight in shining armor. Here's the guy that's going to be the linchpin to turning this entire operation around. And now you're kind of looking at it and you kind of have a bunch of Batmans and no Robins. And this is why I think it's frustrating for people because usually even on a bad team, take the Flyers last year, for example, no longer a superstar, but you still had Claude Giroux. You still had a guy who at times was a dominant offensive player. But now you're going to watch a team who you don't really have that flashy, entertaining guy. You don't have that guy who has the potential to be a star and player in the NHL moving forward. But you're going to be kind of looking, I guess, with one eye open at what's going on in Lehigh. Because you have a guy like Forster cutting his teeth down there, back healthy, and all the other guys I just mentioned to see what they could potentially do. So it's just going to be a year, and we've talked about this at nauseum, of figuring out what you have with this team. And Mm -hmm. part of that is figuring out if you have that building block, a star player, to finally be able to build around in the absence of Claude Giroux. Yeah, Giroux's been the face on the marquee or the name on the marquee for so long. I mean, I mean, I guess if you're putting a name on the marquee now, it is going to be hard. But you know, they do they need to figure out, you know, what they have with like guys like I think it's real intriguing this preseason and early part of the NHL season is guys like Wade Allison, guys like Tanner Lazinski, those guys. Okay, you guys played long college careers, you're ready for the NHL, but is your body ready for the NHL in the sense that can it stay healthy? Because, you know, availability is so important and they just have not been able to remain available for any sustained period of time. You know, this is a season, I I believe both of them are NHL caliber players, Ant, but I got to, I got to see it through time that they can stay available and stay healthy. I'm not asking them to play all 82, but you get dinged up here and there. I get it, but it's been long-term injuries for both far too often. And we've got to, we got to see if those players can get healthy and be contributors so you can rely on them and they got to be available if you're going to rely on them. 
Well, look, this is the third straight year where, and myself included, where we're penciling in, or a lot of people are just penciling in Lazinski and Allison to be on the roster opening night. It's the third straight season. And look, I think, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and, you know, I spoke to someone with the Flyers a few weeks ago, and they said to me, like, yeah, that we're expecting these two guys to battle for bottom six jobs. And unlike last season or the season before that, there are wide open gigs here. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm not considering Patrick Brown and Zach McEwen locks to start the um, to start on the fourth line opening night. You know, 13th, 14th, maybe 15th forwards. Yeah, sure. Stay with the NHL team. I would expect that. But you have some wide open spots here for Lazinski and for Allison to make this team. And these are guys that like they're not spring chickens. Like they're both, what, 24, 25 years old? Yeah. Like they're. Like they're they not full college careers. Yeah, they play full college careers and they're not young guys anymore. And look, I haven't got to see Lazinski all that much because he's been primarily down with the Phantoms or hurt. But we saw Allison for the lion's share of the 2021 COVID shortened season. And when healthy, I think this guy's a damn good player and an absolute NHLer. But like you said, that doesn't mean a whole lot if you're injured 75% of the time. For Tanner Lazinski, yeah, it's nice that we all think that you can be a solid bottom six center in the NHL. And I know you yourself at times have been high on him too, but if you can't stay healthy, this year to me, like this is kind of like the shitter get off the pot time for this season and or, or for these guys this season. And on a side note, I think we should just make t-shirts for that shitter get off the pot because yeah. I feel like we talk about it every show. But I think that's why this season – I'm kind of okay with what they did because even if you added Gaudreau, even if you add DeBrincat, you'd just be compounding this fake dream that you guys could win a Stanley Cup. And eventually you have all these players that you have to figure out what the fuck you have with them. Allison, Lazinski, even Felix Sandstrom. Like Felix Sandstrom to me, like for you, Jay, like let's say that Ivan Fedotov was the backup or they had elected to re-sign Martin Jones. Like, is there anything left to prove for Celix Sandstrom, in your opinion, in the AHL? No, I mean he's he's been there, done that ad nauseum, and yeah. you know, the the issue for him over the last three years has been that there's just been not, not a lot of consistency of playing. It's like yeah. hard to he's in that period. He entered that period of okay, we can judge him going toward the NHL now, but the problem was the pandemic hit. His development was on that that trajectory where. Right when the pandemic hit was where when he was fully adjusted to the North American game, played some, you know, it, you know, played in the AHL, but then it all got interrupted. And it was like the fans played like the same four teams in our, you know, that one year, they had that little mini division, if you will, uh, because of COVID. But now they're back to normal. So at this point, like when we say shit or get off the pot, there's a couple of things that that means for some players that means like produce. Like, yeah. Can you get it done at the NHL level for Frost and Tippett? That's what it means. But for guys like Lazinski and Wade Allison, shit don't get off the pot is, well, you got to be available. We got to know if we can rely on your availability because I can't have you in my, as a general manager, I can't have you in my picture and, you know, filling a hole. If I got to refill that hole, multiple times every season because you're not available. And it's it's nothing against the player. Just like some players, you get banged up. It is what it is. It's okay. bad luck. It's maybe guys more guys are injury prone than others. I don't know. But a general manager, when he's mapping things out, 
you haven't had a fourth line of like Clutterbuck and you know that one they have in, in on the island. You know, you map out their fourth line. You go, okay, this is my fourth line. Are these guys going to be? Yeah, they're available. Now I don't have to worry about it. Okay, I don't want to worry about it. I just want to put it out there and not worry about it. Set it and forget it. But you can't do that yet with some of these guys with the incessant injuries, and it's it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because these are well, like I'll take Wade Allison for example. Like this is eighteen months ago that he was playing. I think he was with Hayes and Faraby, where they really mm-hmm. like caught some chemistry in like March twenty twenty one or April twenty twenty one. And I, I was penciling him, him in, like, last season on, like, the third line, the second power play unit. He's going to be a big-time contributor, this, that, and the other thing. And then the guy played how many games last season? Because he, like, sprained his ankle in a rookie game or something. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, it's not your fault. It isn't, I guess. But at the same time, you're how old now? And you're injured how often now? Like... At a certain point, push comes to shove. It's just, okay, see ya. Like, look at Michael Neuberth. I think yeah. when the guy was healthy, he was a pretty damn good goalie in the NHL. Yeah. But the last we saw of him was that he couldn't stay healthy in Toronto Maple Leafs training camp. And Mike Babcock gave him the boot to the curb. It's just, it's the way. Like, people are not going to pay you to sit on the shelf and be good sometimes. Like, yeah. I would rather, like, a mediocre player that's always there and I know what he could give me. Because you can depend get- on it. Exactly, because it's stable. You know what you have. And when you have a guy or guys, in the case of Lazinski and Allison, it's that much more frustrating because I think Allison is much better than a fourth-line forward, even at this stage. Like, I think even Brent Flair has said on record that, like, they don't really see him as a fourth-line player in the NHL. I think he's at minimum a third-line. Uh, I agree. I, I just think that w- the way the Flyers are set up right now is that if you had a fourth line of Delorier, Lazinski, and Allison, you could maybe, depending on the night, depending on the situation of the game, if you're leading, if you're trailing, that line could play more than Cates, Frost, and Tippett. Yeah. So, like, it would almost be like a 3A, 3B type of line. You know what yeah. I mean? And especially but, if one line's going and the other one's not. Exactly. And, you know, I think that even if Allison was playing fourth line, you would probably have him on the power play on PP2. So there are certain things about these players that, like, it's not their fault, but you have to prove it. And now, especially that, and this kind of ties in what I was talking to at the beginning of the show, is that now all of a sudden, like, this team is in a waste barren in terms of some young players that can maybe crack the lineup especially down the middle. Like I, if I'm a betting man this time next year, we're talking about Elliot Denoyer, maybe making the NHL team. Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of been that good since his draft year. You know, a guy like Zade Wisdom, like is he kind of not a prototypical player? Maybe not as early as next season, but is he not a prototypical player to kind of play the right wing on that fourth line? Yeah, bang around. Exactly. Energy. And he kind of is kind of fits that mold more than Allison. So if let's say Allison and Lazinski can't stay healthy consistently this season, now you're kind of grooming two in-house replacements. And at that point, look, like the players in Allison and Lazinski, but now you have some in-house replacements that you can actually depend on to be healthy. Yeah. And and Forster's a guy that should be ready next year 100%, I would think, as well. Yeah. That's the that's the arc of his development. He had the injury with the shoulder. Um I mean, I think I think we see him make his NHL debut this season. 
at I some point, somebody goes down. If he's going to perform well with Lehigh, and, and again, this is stay healthy. I mean, God damn it, Ant. I The one <laughs> thing I do not want to go through the, again this season, like last season was miserable. It was a pain in the ass for anybody, any fan of the team that pays attention day to day is an all 82 person, like watches every game or, you know, the media that covers them or people that cover them. I mean, I work for the team and I do every game. And it was miserable with the results of all those games. But really, the, the misery kind of stemmed from bad play, bad decisions, and health. Like, I can't go through another season where this where you lose, like, your top three centers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like no team is ever going to survive that. And as much as I love seeing different players and guys, different skill sets and all those things, I don't want to see an AHL team playing an NHL rock schedule. That's basically what happened last year. I don't want to see it. No. It, and look, I know people don't want to hear this, and this isn't me saying that if they were healthy, they would have been, you know, playing the the abs in the cup final. But, like, they were so destroyed by injuries last season. Ravaged. Just, yeah. that, that it didn't even kind of, like, mean anything to watch it. Because what were you evaluating at times? Yeah. There were some games where you're watching Hayden it. They, Hodgson? They were talking it's actually funny is that like there's a there's a show on TSN radio down in Toronto called Overdrive that I listen to almost I've daily. <laughs> oh, you've been on it? Yeah, they've booked me a few times to be on it. They're great guys. They're that's the best sports talk show in um in Canada. So Noodles, Jane McLennan, he does uh, color commentary for um TSN games on tel- on television. And uh, primarily the Ottawa Senators. And he was talking about the Flyers last year, how he was just like, there were games last year where I was preparing and I didn't know who half the players were. Yeah. And, and there were times like that. Like, like guys, like I remember the game I went to, actually. I remember you, you had a defense like Linus Hogberg was playing, like Kevin Connaughton. Max Willman scored in the game you were at, didn't he? Yeah, Max Willman. The Montreal like, game. Yeah, yeah. I actually ended up on uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia that game. But, um, yeah. uh, but like, it was a team that it was that, – that wasn't the Philadelphia Flyers, you know? Like, I, I remember talking to one of the people I know within the organization, and he was just telling me on the phone, he was just like, yeah, we just got to get healthy, man. He's just yeah. like, we just really got to get healthy. We got to see what we have here. We got to see what we have to work with. Like, there was not one game last season – where they played with their th- with their complete center depth, like Couturier, Hayes, I guess Lawton and Broussard. I would assume yeah. those were like their four centers in a healthy world, and they didn't have it. Or Ryan Ellis, they played one game with their starting six completely healthy, and it yeah. was that game in Dallas, I believe. Yeah, only four games last year it was crazy. Like and- I turn on the TV, I I want to see the team. I, I don't want to. I, I, I get injuries are a part of it. I don't like watching AHL players play NHL games. Especially those who are like AHL lifers, you know? Yeah. Like, like I'm not going to lie, like, great story and everything, but, like, when, like, Jerry Mayhew mania was going on, like... Yeah, I thought was, that was sad. It was depressing. Yeah, <laughs> I, was I thought that like... was... People got caught up in it, and, like, he, like he's... Look, he works his bag off and everything. It's great. No. But there's a reason why he's a career AHLer. The fact that, you know, people kind of caught a buzz from him 
whatever. I guess they were just trying to catch a buzz from anything. But I, I found that to be a little sad. Like, I was like, oh, my God, are we really doing this? You know? Well, it, it was like, you've never heard of this guy. He's scratching the door on 30 years old. Yeah. And we're all he now he's like the heart of the heart and soul of the team and all this. Like you said, it's it was sad. And people got carried away. They were like, oh, man, he, he's part of the future. He's not the problem. I'm going, oh, my God. Like they were saying, it's even about <laughs> Hayden Hodgson. I'm like, come on. This guy's not even a career AHL or is he co- he's in the coast? You know, yeah. like what is going on here? But that's how fucked up things got last year. I, I mean, I just I mean, I really hope that last year was rock bottom and there's this begins an ascension which brings me to torts because torts was on with boomer on the on uh team previews on nhl network radio and I mean, torts is really like i was surprised at a couple things things he said now we talked last week about how we brought up uh you know the room and the fractured room and all that on that same interview but in that interview he also said you know, I'm concerned with how the business, um, the medical staff, he goes, you got people suing the team. Like, I was really surprised he went into that. Um, and th- it looks to me like there's no stone. Every stone is getting overturned. He's looking at every element of this team on and off the ice. And he hasn't even gotten them on the ice yet. But he's probably got to look at some of the practices. He can't be out there with them until next week. But he's turning everything over and it's, I, I don't know. I, I think this is going to be, this is a big hill for him to climb. You is almost like he got hired to 50% be the coach, but 50% be a detective behind the scenes and figure out what the fuck's going on. And, you know, I, on the athletic show, they had Michael Russo on and obviously a long time beat reporter out in Minnesota just got promoted. And, he obviously worked with a lot of guys uh, who now run the Flyers due to their time with Minnesota. So yeah. not too hard to connect the dots there. And he was saying that from what he had heard is that there was a lot of whining going on in the room last year, a lot of finger pointing. And as we've heard, like probably a word that's become synonymous with this team since the beginning of the off season, accountability or lack yeah. thereof. And I think that Torts is going to come in here. And like you said, I don't think it's just the team. I think there's just a lot of dysfunctionality going on throughout the organization. Look, we know what's going on with Sal Rafa and Jim McCrossin and all that. And you could speak to it better than me because of how you work more intimately with the team and don't live across the border. But, I mean, those are kind of things that they must radiate through the entire room, especially when you're losing. You know, as the saying goes, I know it's a cliche, but winning cures a lot. And when you're losing and losing in droves, I think everything around that could possibly be negative is going to infect that room. And then you add in like the Giroux stuff from last year and how bad and ugly that got behind the scenes between the captain and uh, the management staff. I just think there was so much ugliness going on. And then even like the coaching staff. And look, I'm not going to blame Mike Yo here. I felt really bad for him. And I think given the circumstances, he did a hell of a job specifically with the younger players. But when you have a coach who we all knew was a lame duck coach, like Dave Scott pretty much said it back in January. And you have a coaching staff that wasn't really solidified until almost, what was it, almost Valentine's Day 
following mm-hmm. the all-star game. You had no concrete leadership, both from the coaching staff and the players, because your captain was being pushed out the door almost yeah. unwillingly to a point. And then you have the losing, the dysfunctionality with the medical staff, and you just had a perfect shitstorm go yeah. on last season. And it was I impossible guess, for the players to just concentrate on on playing and playing better to get day in and day out. Especially when Sean Couturier isn't there, when Joel Farabee's, you know, on and off the injury shelf. Yeah. Kevin Hayes wasn't healthy till what, the end of February? Yeah. And I well, like I'll throw it to you. Like, do you think what was going on, or I guess what is continuing to go on with the medical staff kind of hurt? things as well because Jim McCrossin has been a long-standing employee of this team. Yeah, I mean, I don't I wouldn't even consider him technically medical staff. He's more training staff, he and Sal. Um, you know, they they those two don't make the decisions on injuries. Medical doctors make those decisions. So I, I don't know. Um but they're I mean they're they hired Ian McEwen, the guy, the Irish guy that was I think in Australia. I'm supposed to talk to him next week. Um, you know, and he's has a lot of things in when they they hired him, they hit a lot of boxes that he checks in that bio kind of of, of what he does and what he's going to do for the Flyers. I don't know. I when you look at it and all the injuries, you know, it's been players coming back maybe too early. I talked to Hazy about that the other day. He was on Wednesday's Flyers Daily, and and I just talked to him about how important it was for him to come back that last time. And finish the season. He goes, I, he's like, I heard the fans. You know, why is he coming back? Just shut him down for the rest of the year. We're not playing for a playoff spot. But he said, and I, and I agree with him, it was incredibly important for him. Because he was having doubt if he was ever going to be able to play well again because of the injury. And the, the injury actually went back even into the season prior. And then he had the surgery when he exacerbated it before camp. And he was having that doubt in there. And then when he got back and finished the season strong, I mean, the first 20 games last year, and he had nine points, three he goals, and six assists, and he looked like shit on a plate. Big time. Right? And then when he came back for the last time last season, those 20 games, he had 18 points in 20 games. Yeah. I mean, the difference was night and day. So nine points in 20 games, it's actually not horrible. but It's not. It, and the, but – 18 points in 20 games when he came back and he finally looked like Kevin Hayes again and could move. I mean, that, that was huge for him. So, and that sent him into the off season. He said, that, like knowing that, okay, I'm back. And had he not done that, he would have come into the off season with a shitload of self doubt too. So that was well, huge for him. Well, the thing is, is that even when you account for his first 20 games and you said it was nine points, which like you said, isn't terrible. Yeah. You know, he still it terrible, though. <laughs> it, it looked horrible. And the process was bad. And I think Charlie O'Connor actually posted a screenshot of his underlying numbers in the first 20 games and the post 20 games. And it was yeah, or the last 20 games. And it was night and day. But even when you account for his first 20 games, I think he scored like 32 points or whatever. And he basically paced for 53 points over 82 games. Yeah. And that's still very good. Like if Kevin Hayes is scoring 50 to 55 points and playing the right way as we know he can, I don't think anyone's complaining, right? Like 50, 55 points for Kevin Hayes is kind of like what we're all expecting here. And I think that in a lot of ways, he's the biggest X factor this season. And you could argue that that's Sean Couturier as well. And I'm talking more so about the forward group. 
and you could argue with Sean Couturier, but I think Kevin Hayes is a guy that a lot of people are split on as opposed to Sean Couturier. It's like, we know what he's going to give you. Like, yes, he's battled injuries, but I think everyone's just kind of expecting him to be that consistent, two-way dominant, probably gets you 65 points, Sean Couturier. But Kevin Hayes, a bit of a polarizing player. Not everyone was on board with the mega contract he was handed out in 2019. Obviously has done some of the barstool stuff that not a lot of people are fans of. And he's brought in a lot of his buddies here, notably Cam Atkinson. And I think that this is a guy that has a lot to prove this year because it's been 18 months, specifically the beginning of last season, where he struggled or about a full calendar year. And then, like you said, he picked it up at the in the final 20 games. But if I think, if, in my opinion, if Kevin Hayes can get back to 2019-24 and play the way he did last year, along with a better supporting cast and just a better team around him, you know, that's a big kick in the ass for this team. If yeah. you have a healthy Sean Couturier and a healthy Kevin Hayes down the middle. And obviously there's a lot more that goes into it. Like we talked about Frost and Tippett, Allison, Lazinski, all that. But if you have your two most important players back at 100%, it changes the look of the group for sure. You know, it's funny. When I talked to Hayes, too, I was surprised. Like he, he made a point to say that he made his uh, all his decisions on when he was coming back. It wasn't, it wasn't the medical team. Because he kept reiterating in the interview that I just want, you know, it's hard for a player that is a big part of the team to sit there and watch and have and watch, you know, your teammates get it handed to him game in and game out. And, you know, he's, he just kept saying that I wanted to get back and help the team, <clears throat> help the team win. And he couldn't get back on the ice. And that's why he kept pushing himself to get back. And that's why he pushed himself to get back at the end too. Plus he wanted to get rid of that self-doubt, but he didn't. He was pretty adamant. I made the decisions on when I can when I come back. So I thought that was interesting. And you know, we kind of started here. Torts has mentioned him a bunch, Ant. And I think the day to day for Hazy is going to be tough because Torts is going to be all over him. But I think he's going to push if Hayes stays healthy and handles Torts the right way. That it could be kept. You know, hate. <clears throat> sorry, I got a dry throat. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be Hayes' best season in the NHL because he Torch keeps mentioning me. He, he's got more. I think there's more there, and Torch is going to push him to get it. So I get some water. Well, I'm just thinking about this, and this is more just like shooting the shit high in the sky. But like we know the relationship between Hayes and Atkinson. We know the relationship yeah. between Atkinson and Torch. Is Atkinson kind of been like the conduit between the two? Maybe Atkinson was telling towards things behind the scenes, like, hey, this is the leader. This is the guy that we're going to have to count on the most to have the turnaround season. And it's weird that it hasn't been more centered around Sean Couturier. Like, I think both of them have kind of, like, just by osmosis, become the faces of this team, Hayes and Couturier. But it just feels like Hayes is more at the forefront. And maybe it's because he's more of a character, more outgoing. Like I always say, you could speak to this better than me. But... It just feels like Kevin Hayes is going to be the guy kind of pushed on the fans as like, this is your leader. This is the poster boy this season. Yeah. As opposed to Sean Couturier, who it's just he's going to go about his business, captain uh, consistent, if you will. And not to say that he's going to be a slam dunk to be the captain, but I, Kevin Hayes feels like a guy here that in a lot of ways is going to be leaned on a lot. And can you blame them? Really? Atkinson too. Atkinson for sure. 
Lawton, yeah. I would imagine as well. Yeah. Like, like there are a certain group of players here. I would say like Katori, Konechny, Atkinson, Hayes, and Lawton, that they're kind of like in a class of their own and Farabee when he gets back. Yeah. And then you have the rest. But Hayes just, it's been like a consistent theme since towards his first uh, media availability back when he was hired that he always comes back to Kevin Hayes and talks about how important he's going to be for this team and how he's going to lean on him. And I just have to imagine that there has to be like a Cam Atkinson connection in there. Yeah. And Atkinson is on today's Flyers Daily. I talked to him yesterday um, and taped it for for today. It's on today's edition of Flyers Daily. And and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, how many of the guys have been hitting you up on what it's like to play for torts? And he's like, all of them. <laughs> they got to talk to a lot of guys. They're all wondering, you know, like he played for him for six years. So there's a lot of familiarity there for, for Atkinson. And, and look, Atkinson, make no mistake, stumped for him. You know, back at the end of the season, at, you know, in that end of season press conference that Cam did at Skate Zone on exit day, exit interview day, I'm sure he stumped for him uh, with Chuck Fletcher at his meeting with the general manager before heading out for the offseason, and he certainly stumped for him when he met with me, and I did the end-of-season interview with Cam. So um, a lot of guys have been asking, you know, what's it going to be like day-to-day? They should have an expectation at this point of what what they're getting into this season. For sure. Like, it it felt like Cam Atkinson was beating the drum for torts as soon as the, the, the whistle blew on the last game of the season. And you have a guy that played under Tortorella and was one of the main leaders out in Columbus under Tortorella for a long time. And look, I think that players know what to expect from John Tortorella. I think that they know why he was brought in, not only because of the on the ice stuff, but because of the off the ice stuff. And it's just going to be kind of a wake up call, I think. And it's tough, right? Because it felt like a few years ago we were talking and we was a few years ago, just doesn't feel that long ago that we were kind of, you know, pumping the tires of the new coaching staff headed by AV, you know, the uh, be a fucking flyer and all that, drinking martinis. Everyone was a huge fan of the guy. So, like, there is going to be a honeymoon phase with Torts, except the difference here is is that I think that Torts has carte blanche here. Because, like yeah. you said, it's not just huge on hammer. the ice. Yeah. And I don't see a world where John Tortorella doesn't finish out his four-year contract. I don't no. think he's going to be fired. Yeah, I don't think so either. You know, the funny thing is, too, I think Torch is very self-aware at this point in his coaching career of his assets. You know, he knows he's going to be really hard on players. And in that Sirius XM interview with Boomer, he mentioned that, you know, he asked him about goaltending. And Boomer said, I don't talk about goaltending because it's something I don't know enough about. So I don't talk about it. And he said, and he asked him about Carter Hart. And I thought Torch's answer was really interesting because he said, you know, it, it's, a, it's a position. It's the most posi- important position in our game. It's the only position in the game that's got their own coach. You know, they have a goalie coach. And, you know, my philosophy there is really simple. Just tell your guy to keep the puck out of the net. Stop pucks. But he said, I've talked to Carter a bunch because Boomer asked about the relationship with, with Carter. And he said, I just want Carter to know who I am as a person, who I am as a man. And I think Torts knows that I'm going to be really tough on these guys. And he's got the awareness that he's doing it because he thinks there's more, that you can give more and you can be better. 
And that's why he's the, being a really tough coach, a really tough parent kind of thing on him. But he wants them to understand that he's doing it for them. He's not doing it just for him. He's doing it for the team and he's doing it for the player, the individual player, and that he cares about the person and all that stuff. Cause that's what we hear about towards. But I think Torts is now self-aware that that's a major part of his personality, that it's a great trait that he has, honestly, because he honestly gives a shit about the person and all of that stuff. And he's like, I just want Carter to know who I am. And I, I want to know who he is. And, you know, because I'm because he's going to push him, you know, he's going to. But if he knows it's coming from the you won't get your back up, you won't get defensive if you know he's the reason why he's doing it. And the reason why he's doing it is a positive reason, not for selfish purposes. And it's just to make you better, a better player, a better teammate, a better citizen type thing. If if you understand that part of it, you don't get defensive when a coach gets critical or a coach pushes hard. Because you understand it makes sense, right? Oh, but it does. You, but, there, but I think there are some players here that – get defensive when you say, I think you can get better. They get defensive about it. They, and they, and they, they hear that as you think I suck. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you suck. I'm just, you're good, but you can be better. You know what I mean? Like it, some people hear things in different ways. Some look at a coach pushing them as a challenge. Other, others look at it like uh, he doesn't like me. You know what I mean? The same words to two different people can be interpreted totally different. You know, it's like when you read a text message, if I'm in a certain mood, I could, this guy's being combative with me, or I read it in a different mood. The guy's trying to be sarcastic and funny, the same exact message. Yeah. It's just depending on how you absorb it. So I, the goalie relationship with torts, I think is, is they got to have a relationship. Really the relationship is with Kim Dillaball because he's the one, the individual coach. But I think, I think torts knows that, people are on to the fact that he's a good guy, just yeah. very difficult and demanding and accountable and holds a high standard as a coach. And look, like, would you say that AV's biggest issue, and we know that the public, you know, call out he had of Carter Hart, which you've argued was kind of the beginning of the end for him, yeah. which uh, just never made sense to me. Beginning, middle, end, end. <laughs> but would you argue that his biggest problem was his communication to the players? Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he was the man in the iron castle. <laughs> you know, he, he had his, you know, Mike Yo and Mike Tarion. He had his, you know, guys that worked for him that handled all the messaging. And AV was very, there's like an arrogance that was with him. I liked AV. I liked dealing with him. But, I mean, he at some point, he kind of lost interest, it seemed like. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, he's very savvy and all that. He's a good coach. But you know, these players, I think, need to be kept pretty close to you. And, and I don't what think about, doing that. And what about Dave Haxtell's messaging? Well, I mean, I think that just, that just kind of ran out. I mean, they had some good years under Hack. Like, look at certain players, too. You know, the, the beginning of, of Connect Me in, in the NHL, he was on a nice path. I, I think Hack gets a worse kind of uh, rep or rap than he should. 
he was here for a good amount of years and look, it just ran out and the, he didn't have the tools, but I mean, he was actually doing some winning in some of those years with a team that was in a rebuild. I mean, and fourth lines with Vandevelde and stuff like that, like no offense, but those guys didn't belong in the NHL. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I think he's a better coach than his time here was better than a lot of people give him credit for because you have to consider what he had to deploy player-wise. He didn't have much. I mean, Dave was a bit very stoic, you know what I mean, on the bench. There was a lot of fire there, though, you know? <laughs> like, all, like in my, I dealt with him quite a bit off the ice and spent a lot of time with him out, outside of the team. And he was a good guy. Like, I try not to let that cloud my judgment that he and I had a very good relationship. Um, but he was a really good guy, good family man, good hockey man. But the first job in the NHL coming from the collegiate game, I think, is a, is a learning curve for him, too. And I think he'll do a better job in Seattle because of it. You, you learn from those mistakes. Like, Bruce Cassidy, same thing. First job in the NHL did not go well. No. You know, a lot of guys, first like job doesn't Sullivan. go great. Yeah, yeah. look at Sully. It's another great one. Yeah. Um, and then the second job, all of a sudden they look like a great coach, and you go, "What the hell's going on here?" Right? Yeah, and I think Craig Berube too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Chief came in. I thought he was a decent coach for the Flyers. People thought he wasn't a tactical coach. Bullshit. No, because they looked at him as a player, as a goon, <laughs> right? Very tactical uh, and cerebral as all hell. Like you saw what he did in St. Louis and how he handled them from a emotional standpoint that whole year. And remember that playoff series with with Vegas where all that shit went down and he got screwed. That team yeah. could have folded up right there. Didn't. So. Yeah. So all this to say is that like, I don't think this group of players has had a, as good of a communicator and as comfortable in his skin as you're going to have with Tortorella because AV wasn't a great communicator, had an arrogance, delegated a lot to his, um, I, I want to say minions, but they're not his minions. to like to the dues delegates uh, to do that communicating. And then you had Dave Haxel, who probably wasn't just that comfortable yet to be yeah. as comfortable in his own skin and was a very stoic guy. But also that, had, had Hexy tapping on his shoulder like, Dave, you know, <laughs> Hexy was in so heavily involved that I, I imagine that part was a little annoying at times, too. Well, was Gord Murphy not there pretty much to just to, to pedal back to Hexy and let him know everything that was going on in that yeah, room? The conduit, yeah. So look, like, and I do think that quickly on Dave Haxtell, like, I think the biggest problem with Dave Haxtell is that he was kept like a year beyond his expiration date. And that's not mm. his fault. Like the guy, he can't be faulted that his boss didn't want to fire him. And I think we all quickly learned that Ron Haxtell was the bigger issue there. But that's all in the past. There's no point going down that rabbit hole. But all this to say is that I don't think this group of players has ever had a coach as comfortable in his own skin with the clout that Tortorella has and with the communication ability that John Tortorella has. And now I'm very curious to see. And Mike Yo is probably a good communicator. But again, it is kind of a different dynamic when you know a guy's a lame duck coach and is kind of a carryover from the prior regime behind the bench. But you're going to have a lot of players getting their first taste of this kind of coach, this kind of caliber of coach. And like yeah. we kind of put AV on that pedestal. And I think the first year he was, 
but it quickly went south, you know, whether whatever happened in the bubble, we know his parents were having a tough time with COVID. He completely checked out. That was obvious, but I don't think Torts is a guy who's going to check out. I think that Torts in a lot of ways took this job to take on a new battle. He's done the win now thing. He's won a Stanley cup, albeit 18, 19 years ago at this point, but he's checked a lot of boxes except for salvaging a train wreck to this proportion. Yeah. And I think in Columbus, he did it in a lot of ways, but I think that was more of like an up and coming team as opposed to a team that's just completely fallen from grace. Like, I don't even know what you could peg this team as except yeah. for a team that just needs to be stabilized. As Chuck Fletcher said, and I think I'm wrapped in a riddle <laughs> to put it lightly. And I think there's a lot of players here that are going to benefit greatly from John Tortorella. And like, look at him just for, just to use an example, look at a guy like Rosmus Ristolainen, obviously the most polarizing player this, this team has. How many coaches has Ristolainen had in his NHL career? God, he's been in the league, like what, eight years now, seven years. He's probably had nine coaches. Yeah. Like off the top of my head, Don Granado, Ralph Kruger, Dan Bilesma, AV, Mike Yo, uh, who was the coach before Dan Bilesma? Was he there when Ted Nolan was there? May have, yeah, he had to have been there when Teddy Nolan was there. Yeah, so Part just two. off so that is an obscene amount of coaches. And last year, how many defensive coaches did the Flyers add? Mike Yo, Daryl Williams, and who was the last one to get? Was John Torchetti a defensive coach? No. Maybe, I guess you could, no, probably more Nick Schultz. Yeah, Nick Schultz. So there's a lot of players here, or even Ivan Provorov, even the guy who's been the number one defenseman. You, he broke into the NHL. It was who, Gord Murphy. Then it was Rick Wilson. Was that his name? Yeah, Rick, Rick Wilson came in. Rick Wilson. Then yeah. it went to Mike Yo. Then you had three guys last year. Like There are a lot of players on this team. Yeah that are going to greatly benefit from stabilization. I'm not going out of my way to use that word, but it was the perfect word that Chuck used. Yeah. Is that they are going to benefit from consistently consistency behind that bench, stabilization behind that bench. And knowing now that, like we said a couple minutes ago, is that this coaching staff isn't going anywhere. Maybe like guys will get interchanged here and there, like Daryl Williams or, Rocky Thompson, but I think as far as Bradshaw and John Tortorella go, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, those so are these two. Yep. And even even a guy like Bradshaw, like I think that he, that was a very shrewd hire by the Philadelphia Flyers to bring him in. And I'm really curious to see how some stabilization behind the bench goes for th- these players. And it doesn't just affect the defense. I just think they're kind of directly affected by it in a lot of ways mostly because of the style that Torts coaches and because his guy is going to be the defensive coach. But even some of the forwards, like we talked about Travis Konechny. Like, look, I'm not the biggest fan of Travis Konechny, but I've also spoke to people with the Flyers who think that there's a lot more there to give for Travis Konechny. Like I've spoken to people with the Flyers who have kind of made me change my opinion on how I view Konechny. You know, it's funny because everybody looks at every player right now and everything is trash. That's, yeah, that's what you see, the sensationalized social media rant of there's it's all trash, and that's not true. So, all right, well, let's wrap it up there. And uh, we'll be back next week. We'll do it again. We'll uh, 
count down the days we're getting right there to training camp. I can't believe they're going to be in camp next week. Can't wait to go down and get eyes on and see what everything looks like. And uh, we'll be we'll be getting close to preseason games. A week from Saturday, a week from tomorrow is preseason hockey. I got to get the suits out and get them dry cleaned. And I guess go down. We got to do all these games. We do all of the preseason games as well on the uh, Flyers radio network. So they're playing fun. Boston, right? Yeah. That's yep. going to be fun. That's going to be an interesting team to watch this year too. The Bruins. Yeah, no doubt. And thanks for doing this. We'll talk next week, man. Yeah, man. Take it easy, bud. There he is. Anthony DeMarco from north of the border. Let's get rid of those lines in my face. There we go. Um, let me tell you about Bet Parks one more time here. Uh, episode thir- or 64 of about Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Get the Bet Parks app because um, now's a good time to look at all the futures in the National Hockey League. A great time to look at week two in the NFL. Great time to look at a great college card and baseball and baseball playoffs coming. You can bet same game parlays. You can bet live in-game betting, alternate lines, uh, player performances, touchdowns thrown, over-unders, yardage, you name it. It's all there for you. First to score, bet quarters, halves, and football, whatever you want to do. It's all available to you right there on the Bet Parks app. It's simple to use. It's great. It's so easy to navigate, easy deposit methods, fast payouts, the whole thing. Uh, and a free, risk-free bet up to $750 by using the promo code JASON750, JASON750. That'll get you a $750 risk-free bet. That's for new and existing users, by the way, and terms and conditions apply. So do make sure you check that out and take advantage of the risk-free bet and grab the Bet Parks app. You're going to love it. You're absolutely going to love it. Games that you watch sometimes that don't you don't have any emotion tied into, two maybe good teams in the NFL, you're not a fan of either team uh, per se, but you want to build a little action on it? Simple to do. Grab the Bet Parks app, get your action in, and make the uh, experience even more fun as you watch some of the games with teams without an emotional connection. Sometimes they're the smarter ones to, to gamble on as well. The emotional connection can lead you the wrong way sometimes. So grab the Bet Parks app. Do you need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey? Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Awesome stuff. And we will. Crank her up again next week. Training camp begins. It's all popping off in the NHL. Uh, We'll talk to you next week on Bet Parks Presents. Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great weekend, everybody. (laughs) 